for coaches, by coaches, this is Soccer Chat with Nick Rizzo and Sean Sauterly. Brought to you by Social Media for High School Athletes. What's up, everybody? This is Soccer Chat, your weekly soccer coaching podcast brought to you for free every single week by the good folks at Social Media for the High School Athletes. Check them out online at socialstudentathletes.com and all over social media platforms at HS Social Media. This is a listener-supported podcast supported by people just like you. All you got to do to help us out is share out the links every single week when this drops on Thursdays. Make sure to let your friends know where you're listening, whether it's Apple, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, wherever you're getting your podcast from, even Spotify, make sure to let your friends know because that's one of the best ways you can support us. Make sure to leave a five-star rating and review on the iTunes podcast app. That really, really, really helps us out. and We greatly appreciate it. And also make sure to check out our good friends and all the homies, like we said, at Social Media for the High School Athlete. Also check out dutickbrand.com. We are members of Dutick Brand FC. And when you're on their website finding the greatest coaching accessories, make sure to use the promo code SOCCERCHAT and get yourself a nice discount when you are checking out your items. Also make sure to send a shout out to our friends at Torex with the greatest ball pump of all time. You have to check it out. Trust me, it is that good. I don't even have one. And it's the greatest thing you'll ever have as a coach. Make sure to check it out at Torex Soccer. It's T-O-R-R-X Soccer. It's the greatest ball pump. Tell the tell them that Soccer Chat sent you. Dan and Aaron Redwine, they've been on the show. Let them know that we sent you. They will be so happy that you did. If you've already got a pump, make sure to go on Amazon Reviews and leave them a great rating and review. Big shout out to our friends, Soccer IQ. Make sure to check out their app at Soccer IQ 1 and at Soccer Pulse app. Two great apps for your team and all your coaching needs. Oh, I think I read through that okay. Not too bad. I was going to say, I mean, we, we were talking earlier this week with our friends at Duke Deke Brand FC, Tiff and Adelaide, and I don't think that I could do anything that you just did here, so I'm just going to keep contributing the ways that I can and providing very little to this podcast other than what you do. That is very correct. He is Nick. I am Sean. We are your co-host of soccer chat and Nick is my Tia to his Tamara. That was a good reference today, by the way, but nobody knows which one is, which it doesn't matter because they're both equal, which is why we're here. What if I, I was going to come back and say, uh, what if I was Taj? Oh, smart guy. Yeah. Oh, you're not the smart guy. That's you, true. You like I mean, like we can pretend, but I mean you're you're not the smart guy. That that's Neither for sure. right that is very for sure. We hear every single week. We hear listen to my English language. Uh <laughs> I it has been a uh, a long evening. We were doing this for you on Wednesday night. I had a game tonight that I'm still trying to come down from and little little upset, but you know. The result we got was what we deserved. Um, had a game with my O2s. Uh, we took a really early lead and we had the game in control. I was really proud. We were playing well. Our communication just got so much better than what it had been the last two weeks. And then um, both players on a team or on both the teams, we had, there was two players involved, uh, got straight reds and it, like in the, later in the second half. 
and you just like the momentum train that we had, like playing at their place, you just like saw that train just take off and we were not on board. So we ended up having a, a one, one draw with them. And I am just, whoo, my, my adrenaline is like crazy right now. What, what happened to get straight reds? So it happened on the far side of the field and I can't vouch on, I can only go off of what, you know, everybody was saying, but I know that there was a tackle where my player had his arms out. Like I'll, I'll give, I'll give that credit. Like he had been playing with his arms most of the game, but the other team was very, very physical and the referee was letting it go almost like a college game. Like just like, Hey, unless it gets like super, super out of hand, like I'm going to let it go. Um, Cause he didn't make some calls, but um, had a center back that we had moved outside and was using his arms and kind of went down to the ground with one of their players. And as he was getting up, the other team's player grabbed his leg and like held on, like almost like a child, like throwing a tantrum in a, a store, like clinging to its mom or dad's leg. Um, and by that time, like just like, crowds of players like got around it all and all of a sudden i just heard their their crowd because it happened like right in front of their parents scream out he kicked him he kicked him he kicked him and it started like getting crazy and like my player like was trying to walk away from the situation and so the referee just like stood there like blew the whistle and like teams like nothing there was no like crazy mass brawl or anything like that but like teams separated and you know everything was under control and then all nowhere he just like got his wallet out and threw straight reds up to both the players involved so my guy came over and told me that the guy was holding on to his leg with his arms and he was trying to get up so on that side i'll give him the credit of if you're trying if a player's holding on to your leg and you're trying to get up if you move your leg to get out of the guy's like grip, I guess, what are people going to say that you're doing that you're kicking them? Cause you're bringing your leg up. And even if you can't like get out of his grasp, you're, you know, they're going to say that you're kicking him. So I'll give him that. But without like seeing like the video yet, I won't, I probably won't see it until tomorrow. Uh, but without seeing the video, I can't confirm whether there was a kicking that took place. So I, I would try to tell him, I was like, moral of the story, you know, if somebody is like clinched onto your leg like that, just stand there. Yeah. Cause if you move your leg, even if it's to get out of their grip, people are going to say that you kicked them. And yeah, he was just like, oh, well, I, and I was like, dude, like I've been your age. You've not been mine. Like I'm, I'm just trying to help you out. And uh, I, I think that, I think that kind of got into him, but it just, you know, it just killed every bit of momentum that we had. And uh, we just couldn't get ourselves back into it. We were controlling the game still, but we just like, we were missing that like extra gear that we had uh, going in right before that, actually. So it's upsetting to to come out with a draw, but that's, that is what it is. It's, I told the boys afterwards, I said, man, it's like, these are lessons for you guys. You got to learn, like you got to stay calm because there was almost another one later on, like right before the end of the game. We had a guy made a tackle. I'll give him credit. It was a good tackle, but he, and he used the outside of his foot. So he kind of like poked at the ball a little bit. And the opposing player like put his foot on the ball and like tripped himself up. And as he like rolls over the top of the ball, lets out this like 
I don't even know, like Loch Ness sound, like, you know, I, I don't know how to describe it. And uh, the referee gave, blew the whistle. Thankfully, they missed the, the set piece. But my players were just going bonkers. And I was like, guys, relax. Like, you know, it just keep playing, keep playing. So after the game, they were upset and they were still going on about it. I was like, guys, the game's over with. Like, you, we can't go back and change it. You've got to move on and train and prepare for the next game next week. So like, just let it go. I was like, because when it's in your head now, which clearly going back to the red card incident, that's been in all of your guys' heads. You've played into what they're trying to do. They're trying to get under your skin. And they were like, yeah, you're right. So we, we had a little life lesson today. That's okay. Sometimes you need those. Yeah. I told him to, I was like, guys, I was like, you know, when I was in college, like the things that, other teams said to me and like to try to get under my skin and the things that they would say about me or about whatever, like, you know, the best way to get back at somebody is just put the ball in the back of the net and tell them to pick it up. You know, like that's how you, that's how you get back. Don't let anybody live in your head rent free. Cause that's no. how, that's how you lose games. No, absolutely. But no, I think, I mean, again, I, I think there, especially at that age, there's a lot of teachable moments that you just got to get in front of them and just let them know what what are the things that matter and what are the things that they control and what are the things they can't have you has, have you had a little fracas like that in the in the women's game no nah, not really i mean if we're being honest like it's i think a lot of times at the college level like we yeah, like have we there i mean there might have been one or two moments like that but we've never been anywhere close i mean honestly i wish sometimes our girls would play a little bit harder i think we had three yellow cards in 17 games this past year. So you guys aren't fouling enough. No, I think I like, and it's, it's hard to talk to people about this because I think so many people have a basketball mindset where they think of a yellow card, a technical foul. Yeah. It's like, no, no, a yellow card is a referee's way to manage a game. And like, I mean, if you look at any professional game ever, there's typically two to three a game. It just happens. Mm -hmm. And, and so I know it's, it's hard to talk to him about that without being like, don't be dirty, but also understand that there's times where you can take a foul and it's okay. Yeah. And I mean, we've mentioned before about how very, very early on in this show, not this specific show, but early back in the archives, which you can check for free. Thanks to social media for high school athletes. Um, yes. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, especially like at the youth level, you know, here, like you said, these professional games are getting, two to three to four to five yellow cards a game. You know, these referees, you can go on their website and see what their average is of like cards they give out a game. And we're expecting these 13 to, you know, 22 year olds to be able to like be better than that. Like, come on. It's a, it's a, it's an educational tool. And that's why I always tell every official before every game and my players get like freak out when I said, but I'm like, it's an education tool. Use it. Yeah, And I know I mentioned too about how like in Indiana, it a yellow card counts against your sportsmanship rules and sports, sportsmanship like points. And, and I had to like go back to the ADs and we're like, yo, like that's not a bad thing. Like, like you said, it's not a, the equivalent to a technical foul. No. It's basically the equivalent to getting a foul. Like, hey, stop yeah. doing that. It's a referee's way to manage a game. To tell people like this is not acceptable at this point. Like a red card is a technical foul. Like if you want a direct translation between two sports, that's the only translation you could possibly make between basketball and soccer. Yeah. You know, I'll give my my player credit too. He said, you know, but that was like the first whistle or like the first like, you know, major foul that happened. Like, you know, I had two 
little small fouls earlier in the game, but like, you know, there's no yellow, no warning. And I was like, well, if they think that you kicked like that, you can't yellow that. And he was like, yeah, yeah I guess, but you know, but who doesn't deserve a yellow card or a red card. But I think if I remember correctly, there's a new thing going around called the, the, the green sportsmanship card or something like that. I, I know I've seen it online. If you're uh, if you're listening to this, send me that article. I know it's coaches. Been out for a are you few looking years for now. a meaningful way to bring uh, your players new, like, closer together uh, on and off the field? Sportsmanship do you want a surefire way to give and back to the our game guest and serve week, your community? Definitely. My name definitely. is Sean Danhauser, and I'm a Deserves top soccer to coach. The outreach program for soccer this. or top soccer is a wonderful program that brings student volunteers and coaches together with children with special needs to learn new skills, build valuable socialization skills, enhance physical fitness, and have fun together through the beauty beautiful game of soccer. It's inclusion on an athletic field, and this is where we need help from coaches like you. There is likely a program near you that is in need of coaches and volunteers that are willing to donate some of their time to share their love of the game with others in need. The time commitment is minimal, usually only one hour a week, but the rewards last a lifetime. Please consider getting your team involved in a top soccer program today. To learn more and to find a local program, visit the top soccer pages of either the U.S. Youth Soccer or your local state association's website. It's a special occasion. I even dressed up. I've got on polo and dress pants. It's not that I haven't changed from work yet. It's because we're really excited about this interview uh, that we have with us uh, for this episode. Episode 91. I can't believe we've made it this far. But we are so appreciative to have with us Sky Eddie Bruce. Sky, how are you doing? Good. Great. I'm excited to be here with you guys. You may or may not, in the 91 episodes that we've done, us have the best name of any. I was thinking that exact same thing. <laughs> yeah my where, name where does, has served me well yeah where does it come from like wh- where's the what's the tie in all the names yeah so um well i mean i was named after the isle of sky in scotland nice um, my mom is english which doesn't necessarily make sense why i would be named after anything from scotland but um definitely flower child name from the early 70s um Eddie's my maiden name, so Sky Eddie, and then Bruce is my married name. That makes plenty of sense. Plenty of sense. Yeah. Um. It it, it almost like for whatever reason I had like this like Southern Texas vibe from it. Like, hey, everybody, uh, my name's oh, Sky really? Eddie Bruce. Yeah. 
But then looking at your profile no, and you're not. like, you went to UMass. It was like, oh yeah, definitely not that. Yeah, that's funny. I've been in Richmond, Virginia now for like the last 20 years. And this is the South. I grew up in Northern Virginia, just outside DC. And um, when I moved to Richmond, I thought, oh, you know, I moved here to be the assistant coach at the University of Richmond. And I thought, this is just a couple hours South, but this is the South. But no, I am, I am not Southern. <laughs> well, the, the name <laughs> makes it sound like you are. So you at least got the name part down. Um, right, good. so you, so you mentioned, you know, being at the university of Richmond, the big thing about soccer chat is to know who you are, the coach. Now we've got to know where you've been, what you've done. Uh, some people have to go back and tell us about their U8 playing days and how much fun that was getting oranges at snack time, uh, at, at the half or, you know, uh, or, or their first travel team they played on when they were 12 and things along those lines. Uh, so let's, let's get the background information from you on, on how you got to where you're at now. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I'll I mean, you don't in. have to brag about your eight-year-old playing days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I was like, I don't know if you remember. <laughs> um, you know, I grew up, I was really lucky. I grew up, um, I was born the year before Title IX was passed, and I grew up in Northern Virginia, where there were just so many opportunities for me. Um, I recently spoke on a Title IX panel up there in, in Northern Virginia, and uh, I just was really lucky that opportunities were already are always available for me. Um, so yeah, I grew up playing in the WAGS league, um, large, you know, Washington area girls soccer league. That's no longer in place, but, um, played collegiately, uh, was a goalkeeper. So, um, big part of my story from playing and then coaching were goalkeeper camps. I was a number one camper. So worked with Dr. Magnick and his staff all through, um, high school. And then, went on. And, um, you know, that was really my path into coaching, um, was just through, through the camps. I spent all of my summers through college and after college, um, on the road with Dr. Macknick. And then, um, I transitioned over and worked for soccer plus and Tony DeChico starting my, um, I guess going into my senior year in college. Um, I kind of worked both camps and then ended up with Tony's camp for the duration from there. With, uh, I, I, how do you get into, um, you know, cause I'm, I'm on your bio, you know, talking about your, I'm very interested in your playing days just because yeah, I, I love the you skipped over those way. too. Yeah. Quick. You <laughs> forgot to mention that part. Uh, so let's, let's travel back in time a little bit to 1997 hop in your time machines back in your old Toyota Corollas. And, uh, let's go back to 1997. Let's talk about the selling the car, putting everything yeah. in storage and going to Italy. Yeah. Yeah, I have to kind of backtrack a little bit earlier than that to tell the Italian story, which I will definitely jump into. So, you know, I mentioned I was born in 1972 so I, or 1971. I'm the same age as like Mia Hamm, Julie Foudy. I'm of that generation. And so when I graduated college, if there wasn't, um, if you weren't actively on the national team in the pool, then there was no opportunities for you to keep playing. So for all you know, intense purposes, my playing days pretty much ended in the national championship game when we lost six nothing to Chapel Hill. That was like a horrible game to end and your college career on. Putting that in your uh, your bio. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, hey, we do have to mention that you were named defensive MVP of the Final Four. Like, you yeah, can't, you I know, mean, you I think like I had, over that. Yeah, I think I had like thirty eight saves or something. <laughs> <laughs> 
to make it into the final four also to make in the finals we we beat stanford and pks in the semifinal game and it was an amazing game it was a great team it was a phenomenal group of women to to play with um just such a gift for me and um and so unusual because you know that was at george mason i transferred to george mason during preseason of that year i started preseason at umass had a falling out with a coach quit the team and transferred overnight. Obviously you could never do this now. And this was in 1993. I transferred overnight and finished preseason at George Mason. Um, and then that George Mason team ended up losing in the national championship game. Um, and so it was just a, a real honor to be a, a part of that team and those women. And it was just that unique environment where that team really gelled. And then, so yeah, I was MVP of the final four. I was a first team all American and I was done. There, there's no pro league in the States. I had had a couple opportunities in Japan and in um, Sweden to go continue playing. And none of those really played out. Um, probably because they saw tapes of me playing in the final game. <laughs> Man, she had 38 saves. Yeah, but still, it really, actually, it was a horror. I was my, one of my worst games ever. Like, as much as, as that was a great honor to have, I, I really didn't have a very good game, to be completely honest. But anyway, um, so I ended up um, playing in, like, the Philadelphia, for the Philadelphia Freedom and just trying to, like, put it together. But I, I, I just couldn't make it work. I ended up getting a job for Lanzara. Do you guys remember Lanzara? Yes. So I was a promotions um, marketing director for them and had a great career, you know, three, four year job with them, but I just couldn't, I just wanted to play. And Italy had always been in the back of my mind. I had um, played there um, for the regional team in high school and just fell in love with Italy. The moment we arrived, I was like, Oh, these are my people. And, um, and so I found my way to Tavernaco, to Udine, and to now get to your story, I sold everything, quit my job at Lanzara, um, closed down this coaching business that I had built up and, um, and moved to um, Udine, where nobody speaks any English at all, and um, found myself playing um, with their, for, their, for their club team. I... I reflect on this all the time in my writing, but I will also, I just, as a disclaimer, I think it's important that I say is that, um, you know, I never really could sort out my visa. I ended up only being there for about three, almost four months. Um, but really, despite the fact that it didn't turn into this long standing playing career, it was without a doubt, this amazing life highlight for me where I learned a lot about the game, coaching, playing everything. It really kind of came back together for me at that point. And, um, you know, my passion for coaching and um, really, really grew even from that experience. Well, it's, 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 it's cool. You bring up the whole visa thing. Like I hear of, um, you know, I hear all these stories of friends of mine who are coming to America and, and dealing with their, their visa mm-hmm. issues. And I, I, I've not really heard much of, of Americans being abroad and having to go through, but it's obviously a, a big thing. Um, you mentioned that you were in the same hotel, as the men's players and just like right in the middle of all of the top Italian soccer. What was that like? Yeah. I mean, I had no idea. You guys, I, I tell these stories to guys that follow women, women coaches, people who follow Syria and they just like roll their eyes at me. This, you got to understand this is before I had a laptop with me, but it was like an AOL modem dial up and (laughs) nobody had ever seen a computer before in Italy. This was, this was 1997. This was, 
before cell phones were around. So I was completely, um, I, had, I had no idea what I was in the middle of. And, um, and so, yeah, the hotel where I lived was the hotel where um, the Udine um, had all their meals. So I became very close friends with them. And all the guys that were either transferring in or out or on trial with a club or were single and not married and didn't have an apartment or a home of themselves for themselves all lived. We all lived together in this hotel. And um, and so it was amazing. These guys, for whatever reason, just really opened the door to me. And, um, you know, they were all fascinated with America and wanted to know more about the States, wanted to learn English. And we developed um, some really great friendships. Um, a couple of guys that I still kind of loosely keep in touch with. Um, and then the the hotel. So when it was, when there was a, a home game, the hotel became the away hotel. So everyone would move out of the entire hotel except for me up in room 407 and <laughs> AC Milan would come to the hotel <laughs> or, or nice. I mean, and I had no idea any of these players who anyone was. I was just like, I just remember being in a, in a, um, an elevator. They asked me not to take the elevator. I had to like go in the back entrance where the chef and the cooks would all go in and use the back stairs. But before I understood, I took down, I went in the elevator and I think I was in the elevator with Patrick Clivert. I'm not sure, but I only remember that because I had seen him like on a soccer America cover. I was like, I think I know that person. (laughs) But I was totally oblivious. It was an amazing, amazing experience though. And, um, the passion for football, the passion for the game, Calcio, uh, was just, you know, it just burned still in me. And that experience really drew it out for me, um, just helped me understand the love and the passion that I had for the game that, um, you know, hadn't been, I hadn't necessarily connected with until that time. Favorite Italian phrase that you learned? Altro mm, Fasadio. Um, it means I, I think I'm saying it right. I heard Giovanni Pacini was on here. He might Giovanni's my Italian translator sometimes. Um, it means let's cross over to the other side. Like you're walking down the road and you want to cross over to the other side. Also, Fasadio. That's my. That's probably a word I still use now and then with my kids. Or Andiamo. Of course, you hear that all the time. Let's go. And then uh, you headed to Germany. What was that transition like? I didn't go to Germany. Um, I, I had an opportunity to like I at the end of all of this, the team, my team in Italy had found a team in Germany for me to go to. And I actually opted not to. Um, I opted to just come home and, of course, regretted it, I think, probably a, a few days after I got home. But um, it's hard being on the road. And I was, like I said, so isolated. Um, I never met anyone who spoke English except for the UCLA men's basketball team and came and stayed at the hotel. <laughs> and those poor coaches, I like spoke nonstop for like 17 hours to them because uh, I hadn't spoken English in like five weeks or six weeks at that time. Um, so anyway, I, I ended up um, you know coming home and that's shortly thereafter moved to Richmond where I am now to, to coach here. And how did that uh, that opportunity come up? Did you know somebody there and you called like, hey, I'm moving back to the States or or maybe they had heard that you were back and, and wanted to get a hold of you? Yeah, it was actually from a player who I had coached. So before I moved to Italy, when I was working for Lanzara, I had a really large goalkeeper um, coaching business in Northern Virginia. I had 100, 150 kids that I trained that came to different camps, clinics. Um, 
And one of those goalkeepers, Kristen Samuel, had just committed to the University of Richmond. And so really her mom, um, her mom pretty much hooked me up with a job or connected me to Peter Albright, um, who was the coach at that time. And it was a pretty quick transition. You know, I came back, I, I had that job within a couple of uh, maybe maybe a month or so. I was debating between co- actually coaching or um, I had another job opportunity with DC United. Um, and Kevin Payne um, was the general manager at DC United then. So I kind of decided, am I going to stay in the business side like I was with Lanzara? Or am I going to go back to coaching? And ultimately, obviously, I decided to come back to the game and coaching. That's awesome. I, I, I like that you also have an MBA as a soccer coach because I have one. And I don't, do you use yours ever? Cause I don't really use mine very much. Mm. Well, I do, you know, I own a residential real estate company here in Richmond. Um, Yo. And so it does. Yeah. It does come in handy just, you know, just from a listing standpoint, well, one, just owning a business, but two, um, you know, helping me kind of talk the talk with, with some, uh, some of my clients. So how do you feel? Well, Nick? Like, Go wait. Say again, sir. How do you feel? Not even using yours. You need to start using yours. <laughs> well, I, well, I, like, what was that? Like when you were going through those classes, I, there's a lot of things I enjoyed about like those classes because, like, there's a lot of things that were team oriented and leadership oriented and things like yeah. that. What were some of the like things that you took from that that you're used like with your coaching with everything that you do soccer wise? Yeah. Um. I mean, maybe like organizational management you know, communication kind of type stuff, team building, but no, there's not a ton that translates to the coaching that I'm doing. Of course, the soccer parenting company that I have, have started and founded. I mean, there's definitely some pull that I have and and experiences that I've had through my MBA. But the biggest takeaway that I have from my MBA is that up until up until grad school, I hated math. Like I was just anti-math. And all of a sudden for me, it clicked when I was studying for my GMATs and like statistics, all of those math type classes were my favorite. And I kind of relate that a little bit to player development, you know, like all of a sudden something can click for a player and it can make sense. And I, I reflect on that experience that I have with math a little bit, you know, at some point something will happen or um, you know, there's the possibility or the potential, um, yeah, probably no. <laughs> the most connection that my MBA has to my coaching no, that I'm doing. That is perfect. I actually got a math degree too. So oh, there I, you go. I have two degrees that I use almost never. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> but thank you. Come on, it's a four, four, two, right? Like, yeah, uh... <laughs> exactly. the best part is like our girls will come to my office and be like, like I, I offer them more math help than I probably do like actual help and anything else. Well, that's that's forming connection with them. There you go. That is, that's your way of, of developing that relationship. Yeah, no, it's probably the only useful part of my math degree. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you didn't mention the soccer parenting thing, and we we definitely want to get into that. What is it like for the? For, I, I've read about it, but like for the people who don't know, like it's really cool what you're doing right now. It kind of give like, why did you start that, I guess, to start? Yeah. Um, so I started soccer parenting because I just became acutely aware, especially in the youth game, of the lack of productivity of the relationship between the coaches and the parents. And as a coach, I had fallen into this category at times, and I had been witness in many other coaches that I had 
been a mentee of even, um, you know, this division that existed between coaches and parents. And it was never something that I could really get my head around seeing that that was going to work or that that was really in the best interest of player development. So um, I founded Soccer Parenting and our mission is to inspire players by empowering parents, which I know I get can be kind of scary to think about parents having this more power. But the idea being that ultimately parents and coaches collaborating will be in the best interest of player development. And um, coaches need to see their role as one to educate, support, um, help parents inspire their players. And um, it's definitely, you know, when I started down this path really intensively about five years ago, I was a disruptor. People thought I was crazy. Nobody, you know, I was constantly kind of having to explain this in detail. And now, um, you know, thanks to me and changing the game project and PCA, you know, we're, we're starting to see the value and the importance of parent engagement. And I think, I don't know. I mean, do you all see the benefit if you're in the youth game of connecting a little bit better with parents? Yeah. I, I, when, before we got started, my wife was like, Oh, like who are you guys talking to? And I, I mentioned your guys' website and her first reaction was like, Oh, is it for like parents who are buttholes? And I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to say yes, but I'm not going to say no. I think it's actually kind of like an easier connection for parents to coaches and for coaches to parents. Yeah. And I, I've, you know, in my knock on wood, many, many years of doing this, I've never really had any like crazy issues or like bad issues with parents. Cause I'm just very, you know, from the very beginning, Hey, this is how it's going to be. Uh, if you have any questions, do not be afraid to get a hold of me. Like I'm an open book. I'm, I'm open available whenever. Um, and I found in my experience, like, parents like that like just even yeah. if they don't communicate back to you as long as you're communicating to them even if it's just a weekly email or you know some type of communication that you make with them for the most part like you won't have too many big issues but yeah. i do think that um you know it, when you think about soccer especially at the youth level the one thing that especially in the news now all we hear about is parents the referees mm-hmm. that are quitting because of parents and then the, all these articles that are coming out of, you know, parents just shut up on the sidelines, you know, stuff like that. Like now with having kids of my own and who are, who are playing, it's, I'm now watching other parents. I'm like, all right, who's going to be the first one? Who's going to be the first one? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's awesome that there's now, you know, like with what you're doing is trying to bridge that gap and just create that connection between. Um, Cause I think there, I, I think there are more, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say this the wrong way, uneducated parents, not just about the game, but just like behavior and stuff like that on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Then there are well, educated ones. And I think the more yeah, education Sean, that they have, it's, it's perfect. Exactly. And I was going to say like, just wait until your kids are older and in the game and playing at a, you know, somewhat competitive level, whatever that means. And. Oh, we're and competitive right now sudden, at U5. We are competitive. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, let's disclaimer. See, that's a know, total just, joke. That's a total joke. Yeah, We're having fun. I get it, I get it. You saw my like moment of hesitation. Like, yeah, oh yeah. geez. No. Um, you know, I, I so there's a lot to unpack with what you just said. So to begin with, soccer parenting is not for the crazy soccer parents. Um, I talk about crazy soccer parents a lot, but actually my take on them is that we need to stop using crazy soccer parents as an excuse for not engaging parents. Because as coaches, historically, that's what we've done. 
We put them all into this category and said, I'm not going to engage with them. You being an anomaly to many coaches um, in what you're doing with your club, I'm not going to engage with them. And I will say, thankfully, this this is turning. Like in the last like five or six years, we're starting to see coaches that are engaging more and are setting appropriate boundaries and are opening the door to parents and closing it when it's appropriate. Um, but we need to stop using the crazy soccer parents as excuses. So really who soccer parenting for is for is for like the level headed and sometimes stressed parent, which is the majority of parents, you know, we want what's best for our children, but it's stressful because our kids have so much pressure on them. We're raising kids in this generation, which is a lot of stress in itself. And we need some help and guidance and just parenting in general. And so that's the parents that I'm, I'm trying to reach is a level-headed and stressed parents. But ultimately what I've begun to, to realize is such a huge part of the work I'm doing is coach education. So I'm spending a lot of my time on coach education, emotional intelligence and coaching, establishing trust in the coach parent relationship, which is what you do by that engaging conversation you have with your parents. Um, you know, the emails you might follow up with the opening the door to them, you're establishing trust with them. And you have the personality and the skill set communication wise to be able to have those conversations with parents. A lot of coaches don't. And, um, you know, we need to try to help coaches understand if you were a youth coach, the parents are a part of what you're doing. They, they have to be a part of it. And once we start doing that, ultimately, I mean, the reason I'm going down this path because people have said, why are you trying to do this over and over again? Because I just believe it's going to improve the game. I think I think parents are the missing ingredient to getting our kids to the level, their players, the U.S. soccer player to the level that it needs to get. And um, a lot of it is because of sideline behavior from level-headed parents who just don't know better. And a lot of it is just because of, of parenting behaviors that we have that we need to start addressing and um, – so the business is that I've created a parent education platform called the Soccer Parent Resource Center, which is a separate website, and I'm selling memberships there to coaches and to cl- or to clubs. So clubs are becoming a club member, providing access to all the parents in their club, and then we're starting to see some real culture change, which is ultimately what I feel like I am. I feel like I'm a culture architect for the youth game through this work that we're doing. That's awesome. One of the things that like kind of rewinding on what you were saying there a little bit that I don't think from my experience that a lot of coaches understand is that the the empathy aspect of it. If parents, if you talk to parents and they are able to see you as more than just this person that shows up, coaches their kid for an hour and a half, two hours, and then goes home, I, I feel like that allows them to realize okay, they do, even if they, like, I don't necessarily agree with them on everything they've ever decided, they have a good intention for my kid, whoever yeah. it is. You know, I felt that exactly. At the end of my practice tonight, I are, are I, so I, I train my, I have a U10 team I'm coaching now. And I train them, I get off training, and I actually kept them a few minutes late, kind of by mistake. We just, my, my watch actually wasn't working right. And, and so as I'm leaving, a lot of the parents are there, um, waiting for their kids. And I was in a rush to get to my daughter's high school game, which was going to start in 25 minutes, 45 minutes away. So I could see like their eyes look up at me. And I had this moment of interaction with, I think four, maybe five of the parents on my team. And I got in my car and I went, Oh, I just blew it. 
I should have just stopped for a second and just said, how are you doing? I'm sorry I'm in a rush. I'm going to my daughter's game or your daughter had a great training tonight. It was so much fun to see her work so hard or she really had this great pass or just, just connecting just for a moment. If I had just spent two or three minutes and you, um, you know, reference that Nick as like, as, as empathy, I, I, the same thing. I mean, establishing trust, empathy is, is a component of establishing trust. So that's, if I could, if I could say one thing to the coaches listening is dig into trust, understand, learn about it. And, and then try that with your relationships with parents. And I think then um, we're going to have a much more productive environment in terms of player development. I've always been like, I, I have super weird analogies. And what <laughs> I've always said, um, and this makes sense to people who think like I do, which is not normal. They always say like in life, you never treat your future boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, and wives like your exes. You got to treat, you got to give them a completely different aspect. And even if you had if you've had one quote unquote crazy soccer parent, you can't treat the rest of your parents that you're going to have like the way you did that one or have that same thought process. Yeah. You have to just move on it clear. Everybody has a clean slate and continue to, to open that dialogue up. And, and like, you know, like Nick said, creating that relationship that um, does allow you to have those like, and honestly, like you said, and it's not, it's even beyond coaching the, 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 the power of just asking someone how their day is. Or just like, hey, or just tell them something that awesome that their kid did. How much that can completely change the dynamic of your relationship, but also theirs with their players as well, because they may get in the car. Originally, they were upset about something. And now, hey, you know, coach said you did this really well. Tell me more about it. And it mm-hmm. opens up that dialogue for the kids. So it's like this like big domino thing. Yeah. So don't treat your soccer parents like your exes. <laughs> All right. There you go. I that. <laughs> you and I must have that odd look, uh, odd way of looking at things. No, that's totally, that's great advice. Love it. Do you think like, and I was just like going through in my head, do you think that coaches that struggle with it, do you think it's because they're worried that the parents are eventually going to have too much influence or do you think it's for another reason? Um, I think it's for, you know, every coach situation is different. I don't know that we can like say it's because of this, but I would say that two things probably come to mind right away when you see that the first is just um, emotional intelligence. Like this is the foundation of coaching. My greatest coaches that I was lucky to have as a player or to have as a mentor were all really, really high in emotional intelligence, self-management, self-awareness, social management, team, social awareness, team management, like those four components, they had it. And so I think that's one thing is that, you know, coaches don't have the skill and emotional intelligence is something that can be developed. So there's hope for all coaches Um, I think part of it is just personality and nuances of your personality is kind of the second thing that came up to me. And actually probably the third thing is just insecurities, you know, um, you know, is, is uh, coaches and maybe this kind of is a little bit about emotional intelligence, I guess, is that coaches just their personality is, is insecure. Historically, that's what it was. So historically we had this concept of, you know, the, the egocentric coach that just pushes parents away and doesn't want to be told anything. And I am just so grateful that we're starting to see that changing. I mean, that used to be such a narrative that I saw in the game growing up and that I've experienced as a coach, even like all these ego filled coaches. And now I'm just so excited because I'm on the sidelines and I'm, um, you know, even clubs and coaches that I'm competing against, I feel like 
like we we share something in common. And I'm really excited to see that this the the ego fill coach is slowly starting to leave this grassroots environment. You guys agree? Do you guys does that resonate with you, or do well, you think it's just yeah, too like funny. Anna at all? Yeah, it's funny. Again, I don't coach at the club level at all, so I only have college soccer experience. And from my experience, and maybe this is just a college soccer thing as a whole, they don't want like the coaches I know don't want the parents involved like hardly at all. And, and, and that's good in college. Yeah. You're right. You, the kids have gotten there. That's I, I think that's pretty okay. Unless the kids. Really but the funny thing things, is yeah. like, I'm kind of the opposite of that. Like, and I think that's the reason I don't like, I'm, I think I've had one parent ever call me in the 10 years that I've been coaching college sports is like, I don't, I think I do a good enough job of involving them. And like, we we've been pretty successful at like having them come. Like when we do our end of the season team banquet, the night before I always do a parents night where like the kids are involved and like the parents just come and like hang out. And I bring my family too. So like they can meet my family and stuff too. And it just, I think that like by involving them, I think I get rid of so many problems that I would already have just because they know at that point that like, if they ever, if their daughter's ever having an issue, like they tell their daughter to come talk to me. And like, if there, if there's ever like a concern about like depression or anxiety and things like that, sometimes I've had parents call me, but like, never anything related to soccer. And I think sometimes we are so afraid of like forming that relationship, but I think sometimes forming that relationship gets rid of so many problems that you would eventually have if they didn't have that relationship. Couldn't agree more. And that's maybe also just the quality of kids that you're recruiting. And you might think about that in the recruiting process a little bit too, but I couldn't agree with you more just by you. Like what we know is just by you establishing trust it relieves the anxiety that the parent has. I know my daughter's going off to play college soccer next year. And I'm like, I totally trust this coach. And I'm so excited that she's going to be there and have um, he and his assistant as an influence in her life. I have no stress about the soccer. Whatever happens will happen. I know, though, that if I if I need to call him, I can. Um, but there's this sense of... Um, just her being in a really good place and me, me trusting that. And so um, I think that's what you're, you've done just by opening the door to parents and, and letting them get a glimpse of who you are. And that's what I know. I mean, yeah, of course I asked a couple of friends about the coach, like, do you like him? And everyone had the greatest things to say about him, but just he's approachable, just like being able to actually have a conversation with him on the phone that isn't about where do you see my daughter playing next year? Or, you know, isn't about anything with a game, but, just I like the guy and that 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 needs to start playing into the to into our role and for you in the college game especially what do you think are some of the things that like coaches can do to like help that relationship without a lot like because again you also want to have like with anything you want to have boundaries and you want to have established roles like what are some things that you would advise like coaches to do in this process from youth level all the way through coaches at my level. Cause I know I can even still do a better job. Of it. Yeah, no, that's a great game. That's a great question. So, um, I mean, I think the easiest thing that we can do <laughs> is know the first names of the parents, <laughs> you know, like to be able to say, Oh, you know, Hey, Michelle, it's great to see you means so much to these parents. Like th- you have no idea. So I would say that if you're going to do one thing, literally make flashcards tonight and memorize the first names of the kids on your team, the the parent first names of the parents of the kids on your teams. 
Um, you know, I do a whole workshop on establishing trust in the coach parent relationship in that we talk about, um, you know, um, meeting your expectations, like setting expectations and meeting them. So in the youth game, if you say you're going to provide evaluations at midseason, actually follow through and do that. Or if you say you're going to send an email once a week, you have to do that. Um, so if you can't really send an email once a week, don't tell them that you will. Um, you know, we talk about establishing trust and it is, um, um, you know, we, when, when we're opening the door to parents, you know, it's setting clear boundaries, like what is okay to talk about and what's not okay to talk about. I wouldn't necessarily have that be your first conversation. Like, Hey parents, this is my name. I'm the coach of your daughter. This is what's okay to talk to me about this. What isn't, but at some point we need to weave that in to um, once we've established a bit of rapport, weave that in. Like, it's okay to talk to me. If your child is not feeling inspired, is getting into the car after training and doesn't seem like they're okay repeatedly, I need to know that. I want to help. I want to, we need to figure that out. Um, you know, the door is open to you to tell me that. Even if that means they're not inspired because they think my practices are boring, <laughs> you know, like let's figure this out. Um, if um, the door is open and we can set boundaries that, you know, if you have a question about the game itself, like I'm here to help and guide you. So if there's a law of the game that you're confused about, or if you're um, asking, if you have a question about like a system of play we're playing and what somebody's role or the numbering system or whatever, the door is open to talk to me about that. Um, the door is not open to talk to me about any other player. The door is not open, close to you to talk to me about any tactical decision I make within a game. Um, so really like being clear with parents about that is actually really helpful because then they say, Oh, I am allowed to talk to her about this or the door's open to me now. So I am going to bring this up. And I've had parents say, you said in the parent meeting that you wanted to hear if my daughter wasn't inspired. And so I wanted to follow up with you. It was like, I gave them permission and now they're calling me, which I love, you know, that's, that's what we need to do at this point. Cause this relationship is so undefined. So, yeah. you know, those boundaries I would say, and then, you know, any way that you can establish trust is essential. Like, and, and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, like you've, you've had a bunch of different inspirations for what you're doing. Can you talk a little bit or elaborate more on some of the inspiration that you've had kind of developing this whole thing? Mm, yeah. I mean, tell me, give me a little bit more like insight and where you want me to go with that. Are you talking about yeah. like my mentors along the way? Yeah, yeah or? exactly. Yeah. Well, like I, when I was reading through, like, and I've, I read actually a few of the articles today in preparation. I do like that you like have articles that actually explain like soccer tactics to parents. I thought that was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, but no, like, yeah, talking about your mentors a little bit, like some of the people that helped you build this, like this thing that you have, which is really cool on a lot of levels. Yeah. Well, so I have a great advisory group of coaches, which are really kind of like my friends in the game. And I've been so fortunate to have this amazing circle of people around me um, that I've learned from and that I do consider to be my friends. Most of them are... Um, people that I met through the different camps that I work for. So I mentioned that I work for Dr. Magnick and, you know, Doc is um, he's just been just a wonderful advocate for me over the years. Um, you know, he kind of um, really started me down this coaching pathway and his level of emotional intelligence and his connection and his storytelling and 
so many things that I learned from him that I take into the work that I'm doing even now because, you know, I'm interviewing somebody or I'm doing a webinar or something. And I, I kind of feel like I'm on stage. Like I felt working at these camps. So just the mentorship that I had, even in my coaching translates into the work that I'm doing with soccer parenting. Um, I was Dr. Magnick's first female director for the number one camps. And I always say that with just a ton of pride, you know, um, I, I was in college overseeing men, eight, 10, 12 years older than me who are pro players to, you know, doc just totally trusted me and gave me a lot of responsibility. So owe him a lot. Um, and he's been a, you know, a source of, of, of help for me even now and guidance and mentorship as I've been going down this path. But um, you know, I have to talk about Tony DeChico and, um, you know, Tony's level of emotional intelligence it was, was just through the roof. And, um, you know, these camps, both at Dr. Magnick's camps and at Tony's camps, you know, one of the big things we do is this parent meeting at the beginning. And that was Dr. Magnick's first thing he gave me as a leadership role within his camp before I was ever a director leading anything was I was in charge of the parent meeting. And, um, you know, just I saw from the uh, from the very beginning how vital parents were to um, the development of the kids. And that really is definitely something that stuck with me. And then, you know, Tony and just his connection with people, his his ability to just make people feel like they were such a part of the process um, was just so inspirational to me and um, is definitely something that is so ingrained in my coaching. And that's why when I became an active youth coach, I realized that I have to include parents just because it's, it's so impossible for me not to. And that was just part of um, the way that um, I was about to say, Tony raised me. (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, like that was just part of, that was just ingrained. Like every person that is here is essential to this culture that we're creating at this camp, whether it's the trainer, whether it's the cafeteria staff, or whether it's fellow coaches or players or parents, anybody who's a part of this is essential. And so when I became a coach in the youth game, it was just impossible for me not to connect and want to include parents. And I, you know, and then as I started soccer parenting, you know, Tony was one of the first people I called to just get gain advice. And um, he was, uh, you know, I interviewed him a couple of times. He wrote a few articles for me and um, you know, I'm so, so grateful for the influence that he had on me and, and so many people in, in this world of coaching. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's been really cool, uh, obviously, with all the the uh, publicity seems like the wrong word, but like all the recent stuff that with especially with the 99ers and everything that came with the last few days, it was cool to see how much he had influenced just the U.S. soccer community on the women's side as a whole. Yeah. And the men's side, to be fair, because, you know, he coached on the men's side, those coaches on the men's side, those ego filled coaches and the women's side, we have them, too. But you know, it was impossible to be around Tony and have an ego and not realize that you were at a place with an ego because he <laughs> was the most winning coach in U.S. soccer history, men or women. And the man just cared about everyone in his path, whether it be um, a top level player, another top level coach on the men's side or the women's side, or it be the parent of a player. You know, he just 
he and he remembered everyone's name. He just he it, it really went deep for him. It was very real. And um, and so, yeah, it's been great to see the 99ers and all the um, you know, I watched really closely the game the other night versus Belgium. I loved seeing Diane on the field, his wife at halftime. And um, I know that every one of those players would speak as eloquently and as powerfully and even more deeply because they had the the honor of being able to play for him. I just coached with him um, and, and seeing the influence in his life, they would, they would feel, you know, just as deep as, as I do right now. Yeah, no, that's, and that's a girl. One thing I did want to say about this game, this is kind of going off the rail. The thing they did with the young soccer players in the beginning of the game was like the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I love that. And I loved how those players, like, did you see Alex Morgan give the Jersey back to the girl? Like, like I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. But, but beyond that, like, I didn't feel like that was for TV. I didn't feel like those players yeah. were like, oh no, like they really, they really, um, and that's the, that's the women for you. I mean, that's how the women have grown their, their, um, their, I was about to say brand. I don't know if that's the right word to use. Or not. Is, that, that was the word I was searching for when you were like trying to say the word. Yeah. Like it's impossible to be a high level women's player and not, well, it's not impossible. It's unusual to be a high level women's player and not really care about the fan base. And I mean, I think if you go back and you look at those 99ers, I mean, that's what they did. You, you know, they, they should have been paid triple salary because not only were they playing, but, you know, they were also doing this amazing job marketing and advocating for the women's game. And, um, and I look at, I look at, you know, I experienced that so much when I was in Italy. I mean, I got off the plane and arrived to this training camp in Germany where my team was training. And like the girls were, I'll never forget, like getting out of the van and standing up and they were all like on these stairs to look at me. And one of the girls was like, okay, muscule, <laughs> like how muscular, <laughs> you know? So we, the, these U S women, I'm not even going to begin to say I have anything to do with it. I, I have a small thing to do with it. These U S women, these 99ers change the world in oh. so many ways, so deeply. And all the amazing things we see that's happening in France and England and the growth of the game in Spain. I mean, it is because of them in so many levels. So um, that's really inspirational for me. No, I still remember, I was actually, I was fortunate. My mom is, we like, I have a, such an incredible mom. And so we actually were at the Nigeria game, like in that World Cup. And so they won 8-1 at home or 7-1 at home. I remember it was, uh, it was so just a cool. crazy blowout, but I, we were actually at that game of Soldier Field because I'm originally from Chicago. And so, like, it was cool because, like, it, we, those players were inspiring everyone. Like, it wasn't just men or women or anyone in between. Like, like we were talking like when, uh, like, Don Crow was one of our good friends. Like, I, I could talk to her about Christine Lilly was, like, always my favorite player growing up. And so, I actually had all my – I teach a class on campus. And um, I had all my – there was an article about Carla Overbeck and just kind of, like, her influence on, like, what it's like to kind of be, cause it's a leadership class and it's talking about being like more of like a silent leader. Yeah. And, and so like they're actually doing a paper on Carla Overbeck that they're all turning into me tomorrow, actually. Good. Yeah. You could do that on Christine Lilly too, the silent leader. Oh, she's, yeah, she was awesome. Like I, I read like from Anson's book. I like, I loved all the stories that he said about her. I'm going on a rant right now. I'm going <laughs> to focus back up a little bit, but no, like, one of the things that I kind of wanted to touch on before, and I'm not letting Sean ask any questions. I do this sometimes, Sean, <laughs> where like, we'll be, 
we'll be in an interview and I don't let him talk for like 25 minutes straight. And then I, I would say he's that. done it probably 87 of the, show that we've done. <laughs> of the 90, whatever. <laughs> I just go, I go off on tangents and that's uh, no, but like for you, like I, I kind of want to tie it back into your own coaching right now. What are some of the things that like you are most passionate about with the things that you're doing as a coach with your teams and obviously like with your daughters and stuff like that, like talking them through different things. What are some of the things about the game right now that you're really passionate about? Mm, yeah. Um, so this is the second year I've ever been the head coach of a team. And I have you 10 girls. Like I've always been a goalkeeper coach. I've always been an assistant coach collegiately. Um, I've always been an assistant coach, even in clubs. Like I used to be the assistant for a coach who had three teams. So I would be at the team where, you know, he couldn't be. So for me, I am seeing like the game and coaching is opening up in such an exciting way to me after 25, 30 years, 25 years of being a coach now to say, I am finally the head coach of a U10 girls team. Um, I think that I'm seeing the game in a whole new way. And a lot of it, I have to say, is because of Todd Bean and Tovo and this whole possession-based soccer where my daughter was just, um, I have a daughter and a son, not two daughters, but my my daughter, my older daughter was just in Spain for the last two months at Todd's program in Barcelona, um, Tovo. And um, just this whole concept of how kids learn, moving away from like, the standing in lines kind of concept. Um, but I'm just experimenting with these girls that I have about pushing them to their limits tactically and making decisions and awareness about defenders and space on the field. And it's so amazing to see the capacity that these girls have for the game and for learning. And to me, I feel like we just have this huge untapped ability to grow the game once we can start to see um, what's been missing. What are your tips as a parent uh, who also is a coach mm. that when you're watching your own kids play, what is your tips for those who are doing the same thing of how to turn off one or the other and just be there in the moment? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to be also really like, forthcoming with you all it's only been in the last year maybe six months honestly like since Callie my daughter has come back from Tovo or, or, or like found her way a little bit in the game that I've been able to talk about what a crappy job I did with her like I I I really made a lot of mistakes with her from a parent coach perspective I never technically coached her I coached her teams sometimes like filling in but um, just the pressure that I put on her, the the ways that I would say things, the the nuances of of comments that I would make that were really unnecessary. Um, so my advice to parents would be to just love your kids, find a coach you trust who can help your child from a performance identity standpoint. And you just love your kids and help them develop their authentic um, identity. Let the whole soccer thing, athlete thing come from somebody else. It does not need to come from you. Find people you trust to handle that. And you just bring the oranges. I feel like if you can just bring oranges to every game. Yeah. Your kids, your your kids kids appreciate it. Bring oranges. And, you know, I, I interviewed um, Christian's dad 
Mark Polisic and and you know like what was your post game thing and he's like uh Slurpees at Seven Eleven yeah <laughs> like that was post game with Christian. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what uh, I think when we lived in Michigan. I think after Quinn would play, we would always back. We going to do and she'd back. I'm gonna go to B Dubs. Yeah. Like, okay, heck, we can do. That's not a problem. <laughs> um, so she'll probably I, I and now she does um. Well, I'm top place like she also does ballet. Yeah. So after ballet, it's always they go to they stop at Sonic on the way home and get a get a slushy. So I'm sure we'll come up with some for yeah. for soccer Saturdays. Um, yeah. you know, I I, I kind of there was a, a moment you guys had were talking about um, in, in Nick's little uh, tirade as as he would say, and it kind of got me thinking. Um, I always talk on the show about the direct correlation between coaching and and teaching and, and my wife's a principal and my father-in-law superintendent. And there's so much that I gain from what they do because it's essentially we're all uh, coaches and teachers. We're all doing the same thing. We're trying to educate. We're trying to teach something just, it's a different topic or different subject. Um, I prefer the ones without numbers since you guys are all math people uh, that takes me out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it always, you were talking about like dealing with parents and, and that empathy. And it made me think of a comment um, that I, I heard once uh, from somebody that my wife was listening to, and they were talking about they work at inner city schools. And, you know, a lot of times, not just inner city schools, but just anywhere when a parent complains, to you, not not complains, but when they voice their opinions or their concerns about something, the one of the worst things you can say is, I understand. And especially if you're not a parent, that's very hard for you to say that to a parent when they know for a fact, like you don't understand what it's like. And she was talking about... um uh, with this person just about how like one of the best things that she has found in her current situation is to when a parent says something is for her to say, you know what? I don't understand. And I, you know, tell me how, you know, how that makes you feel or tell me what is it that I can do to support, you know, what the, these feelings that you have, or what can I do to change those feelings? And I think now as coaches, okay, like you said it, it is changing. And, and, you know, we just moved back to the town that we lived at um, and I, where I grew up at and going outside for a little bit, even if it was just for two years, and seeing a different culture in soccer and in coaching and in parents, and then coming back home, and 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 realize like, oh, hey, like there was a massive difference, and it, and things can get better here. Mm. That you know, how do how does one a, a club, you know, because we'll get into your your plugs and everything here, but I'm very interested into what your program, you know, with club signing up, uh, you know, just some of the a lot of the services that they offer because I do think that when people get outside of their club and go somewhere else for a little bit and then they come back and kind of like audit their own club, it's like, Oh wow. Like there's some things that we could check. Maybe, maybe things aren't bad, but definitely things can get better. Mm -hmm. Um, So what are kind of some of the services that you do offer to clubs? Yeah. um, Well, I find what I've done is I've become a little bit of like this parent engagement influencer within clubs. So um, is that on your name tag? (laughs) <laughs> no put should. that in your twitter bio tonight um so i mean the educate essentially what we've done is we've created this education platform and ultimately what this is doing is it's providing something for the clubs to open the door to parents about and so it's just it's just the starting point and my bigger take on parent engagement and where we are is that whereas like four or five years ago, everyone, the, the coaches thought and didn't really understand and this message didn't resonate with them. And now they've changed their mindset. And now we're seeing clubs and coaches coming on board with this. That's what next needs to happen to parents. Because 
because the the big thing that's not happening is that parents aren't engaged enough and in the right ways, and they don't see the importance of of really learning how to support their child athletically and um, finding environments that they trust. So one of the services I guess that I'm offering to to these clubs is is an opportunity to tell parents and give them something that's a value to them and opening the door to these conversations. I do a lot of work with, you know, coach education. I'm doing webinars for clubs a lot or speaking. You know, I, I have a pretty busy speaking schedule, especially the beginning few months of the years, the year um, where I'm speaking at clubs, state associations, conventions um, about parent engagement, establishing trust, emotional intelligence, being a coach of impact, all of those things. Um, and, and really, um, so the clubs that join, then their directors of coaching, technical directors, executive directors become part of this group that we have, this working group of, of leaders in these clubs. And, um, you know, they start to share best practices amongst themselves. They start to develop collaborative relationships amongst these clubs that historically have kind of competed. They might be from different regions and states and such. So, but, you know, they're, they're starting to see this collaboration and, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I'm doing is that I'm 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 connecting I'm connecting people that haven't historically been connected and through that collaboration um you know collaboration is a force multiplier and and once we start sharing practices connecting with people learning from each other whether that be clubs and clubs coaches and parents referees and parents you know then we're going to start to to see some some real some real change I, I find myself now like my daughter, she's played for two years now and I, I loves to play. And I, I've always said, like, I, I try to just be the dad. Like I, I try to go when I'm, when I can get to her, to her games, I just want to be the dad and, and, you know, not try to coach. Um, and, and most of the time, like, I just, I really just try to keep my mouth shut. Like, I just want to watch, like, you know, I may, I may, you know, converse with my wife or if the grandparents are there watching. Um, but I really try to just like, just to be in the moment. And, and I find myself now as she gets older and, and she's getting more competitive and she does want to play, um, you know, and she, anybody who asks, she tells them her dream of what she wants to do when it comes to playing. And I'm trying to constantly find that like, okay, like kind of like you said, like now, like I'm more interested in like, in like talking to you even like off the podcast, like, okay, like you mentioned about how you, all these mistakes you had made mm-hmm. uh, with your daughter growing up. So now I'm like, I'm in, like that's me right now. Like, okay, like what can I do to prevent from saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing? Because like, you know, I, I yeah. growing up for me, it was just like, you know, they just, my, my family just kind of let me go. And then when it, when it came to like playing, I mean, like my mom was like a super hard ass on me and she's one of the nicest ladies in the world. But when it came to me playing just straight hard ass and it just drove me nuts. Mm-hmm. And so I want to like, <laughs> the, the old phrase of like, I'm never going to be like my parents uh, yeah. ordeal is now coming back. Cause I, there are moments where I find myself like, Oh my God, I'm just like my mom yeah. and not with my daughter, not like being a hard ass or anything, but just like, the, I, we all have that, like the Even if it's going in mind, you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm sitting here watching a five-year-old and I'm screaming at her in my head to run fast. <laughs> yes. with me, right. Can you relate to that? Like, 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 why do we care so much? Yeah. Why does it really matter? All we're there to do is just be a parent. So yeah, like we, we I can say like, and I, I don't know, I think I may have mentioned this on the show last year, but we caught ourselves 
Um, and, and Quinn's first game last year in Michigan, she was just, I mean, she's been doing academy. She's like, basically it was two. And so, I mean, she's got some, she can dribble, she's fast and whatnot, and she's tall for her age and, and pretty athletic. And but she's her, five, right? She'll be five in May. Okay. So she's uh, four. So let me just, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, her first game, uh, as documented on the show, whistle blows seven seconds. She scores the first goal. And I'm like, all right, like this is going to be okay. Um, she has a tackle on, on a boy who ends up just laying there and just gives this look at everybody. Like, I'm not getting back up. I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't fun. And we, I rem, I will never forget like hearing parents like kind of get on about like, Oh, like she's rough. And like, and she caught that. And we noticed just like a complete drop in her. So how you talk about like these things that we say in our heads, like that's me and my wife going like, get aggressive. Like you're like, you're more aggressive than this. Don't let this one thing that happened months ago, you know, affect the way that you, you play and the way that you have fun. So that for me, it's, it's that, that's my struggle of, uh, you know, just trying not to be that over the top or just, just yeah. trying to just be the dad. Yeah. So like you see, I'm, I'm, I need to like go get a therapy degree or something. I get into these right? conversations with people all the time. Hold on, my couch is right behind me. Let me lay down real quick. <laughs> I know. I see the Jay Demera <laughs> behind you too. He's a great guy. Well, it, that, as you were talking about, like your your uh, going off to Italy, it made me think of Jay's story yeah. Oh, yeah. of just getting rid of everything and just going over. And I wish I would have brought that up, but you know, Nick was talking about his thing, and I just kind of let it go by. That'll <laughs> be part really two. Interview. I have a really good interview with Jay on the Resource Center. He's he's he, it was an awesome conversation. I but love I that know, man. I've I've never met that man, but I am so in love with him just because of. Um, so the poster I won in a contest that he had on Twitter yeah. uh, when the movie came out and um, we had just kind of engaged a little real small back and forth on Twitter because uh, he liked the nickname that I had given him because uh, all my friends, we gave the national players nicknames. And he just wrote his, I, I've always referred to him as Hacksaw Jay Demerit. Um, and he just thought that was so cool. And he even signed the the movie poster uh, Hacksaw Jay Demerit. Um, and I was coaching a high school team. We were in our, to our uh, our regional finals, and we were doing our warm ups uh, while the other game was going on, or it's regional semifinals. I'm sorry, um, while the other game was going on, all of a sudden I just got this like massive blow up on Twitter, and I'm like, "What's going on?" I hadn't told him like who I coached, didn't tell him like you know anything else, and it was almost like he had just known that like we were playing. And he put out this big message to the team on Twitter and like, you know, everybody go support, you know, put their Twitter handle on there, you know, hashtag go big green and just all the stuff. And I was like, I love this man. Yeah. I've never met him before in my life. I love that man. Yeah. He's a good guy. Um, Hey, can we get back to your daughter? Cause I think it might, I know it's been <laughs> a while. I think this might be a good way to wrap up this conversation. With yeah. Like, like mentorship and coaching and like this thing that just hit me last week that I keep reflecting upon. Um, so what I wanted to say is the difference. Like, so, so Tony DeChico, we talked about Tony is my mentor and Tony's catchphrase is catch them being good. Mm-hmm. His book, that was his book title that he wrote um, with Colleen Hacker. And that was always what rang through to me as a coach within his organization, within the culture is, you know, see the positive in a player and, and highlight those positives. Like one of my favorite things to do with the kids when I'm coaching them or at camps. And I got this from Tony is that 
you know, be in the middle of a session and um, right in the thick of it. And a player finally does something, a goalkeeper finally like pushes through their limits and makes the save or tries to, and you just stop everything, walk out into the middle of it, high five them. And that's sort of this concept of catch yeah. being good. And so I had mistaken that. And I think had I understood what I understand now um, about this concept, I would have been a better parent. And it's the difference between praise and affirmation. I was listening to a webinar about this um, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a week and a half ago. And so what I have always taken catch them being good to be is praising them. Like you see your daughter and you see her um, like, so, you know, the one time she is aggressive, good job. You know, you, you're appraising that when she does it well. But the concept of affirmation is much more powerful. And that's what really will change behavior. So, um, so for know, the broadcasting majors, affirmation compared to the praise, like what, how do you, how would you word that then? Yeah. So instead of, instead of that was great or good job, you could say, I, I, I can see that you're focusing on getting to the ball first, or I can see that you're putting all your effort into that. And I so like you're, Affirming what she's actually doing instead of just saying, good job, or that was great. I'm so proud of you. You know, and that's a term that I used to use with my team. I say used to, because after I hear this webinar a week ago, I'm like, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. I often find myself saying, I'm so proud of you. And that's really more about me. Instead, I want to say, I was so inspired by how you all communicated together today or how you rallied and, you know, pick out something specific to affirm instead of just saying some praise. And I think that that re resonates really, you know, when you were talking about your daughter and her issues or, you know, her working through this concept of, well, one, it's hard being the big kid. There might be some gender issues. You wonder if a parent would have said that if it was a boy, um, you know, just her knocking somebody over saying she's really rough. I mean, uh, I'm not gonna lie. We were kind of like doing the, nobody could see us Tiger Woods fist bumping. Yeah. Like that was awesome. <laughs> I, I looked over my wife and she was like, that's my girl. And I was like, hell yeah. That's awesome. And you need to do that. It's funny. In my daughter's game today, the goal or a defender came out and just tackled the crap out of this girl. And the parents that I were with were all like, oh, wow, that was really rough. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, want, I want to hit somebody. I miss hitting people. Yeah. Um, don't, hit, don't, don't hit us. We, we, we're <laughs> delicate over here. But anyway, so you have to build that up. But I would yeah. just, you know, maybe something of food for thought for coaches is a different. Well, I, I keep telling myself we've got two children. I got to make my mistakes with Quinn so we can, when the boy comes around, we're like, all right, we are good to go. We've got this down pat. Yeah, I hear that all the time from parents. If only I had learned this five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, and it, it's so crazy too, because like, especially like, you know, with her playing rec leagues and, you know, once everybody finds out, oh, Quinn's dad's a soccer coach, then it's just like, you know, constantly. No, hey, like this, this, this. It's just like there's a time I, I, I'm I'm too outgoing that I can't say I cannot say no or I cannot help. And then I'll go to to practices and help because I mean it's just volunteers that are out there and they always say, Hey, if you have any ideas, you know, feel free to to help us out. And you know, I, I find myself doing that. And sometimes I can see my daughter clicks a little bit more when I when I'm doing stuff with her. Mm -hmm. Um so, you know, I'll go for those purposes, but for, for me, it's just always hard to be like, ah, oh, like, I really don't want to like talk about your kid playing and whatnot. Like, I just want to, I want to actually focus on my own child playing for the first time in my life. Yeah. I hear you.
Man, I think that's part of the issue of being a parent coach or being a real coach, you know, in the youth game and especially in the rec level. That should be the next uh, t- big Twitter account. It should be soccer coach who has a parent problems. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We've got it. We've got it. So I, I always ask you a question before we close up because I, I know Nick's gonna gonna wrap us up here. Um, you seem very uh, high personality, big energy, uh, and, and and so I have to ask you this question because I haven't asked in a while, and you seem like you probably have a good answer. Um, if you could describe your coaching philosophy with a song title, what would it be? No, I sorry, I absolutely can't. Oh well, actually, I can. I heard the song coming up. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. YouTube. Oh, <laughs> went sentimental on us. I was expect like I thought it was gonna be some like big jam, but yeah, okay. No, I'm so unmusic oriented, honestly. Like I have the same twenty five songs on my phone that just somehow play through my Bluetooth, <laughs> my car. I don't even know how it works. I am not. I'm not a good music person. I'm sorry. You know, I, I Nick, I do have to say this because th- this happens on almost every episode. Uh, soccer coaches, we have a massive music problem. <laughs> this is episode 91 and i swear on at least 65 of them every time that we've asked a question like that the person's like i'm not a music person what are we doing what are we doing with ourselves (laughs) i wish that i was i really do i feel like i missed the boat on it i love music i just i don't know there's only enough time in the day i can barely find time to watch a few games every week let alone let alone dive into music so was there a song when you were in college that maybe played on the on the pa system that always got you jacked up to play um not that i remember any names of what are we doing stop these line of questionings right now i didn't get any better i mean the rocky probably soundtrack i'm just dating (laughs) oh sky Sky, I know. look here, here. You can be the uh, soccer coach, parent, liaison, consultant, uh, middle person. I am now. I'm going to make myself the soccer coach, music aficionado, liaison for everyone. Nice, I love it. I'll be, I'll be reaching out to you shortly for a playlist. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, no one of. I mean, honestly, this was this hour went way too fast. We're probably definitely going to have to do a a part two for this at some point. But one of the things that we're all about with our um, soccer chat community is connecting people with one another. So if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way through Twitter, through email, through your website, what's the best way that people can learn more about you slash reach out to you? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, so soccerparenting.com is the site. Um, you can find my contact information on the about page there. Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter um, at soccerparenting at sky eddie bruce e-d-d-y b-r-u-c-e-s-k-y-e so um yeah so just through twitter facebook i'm pretty active on that's pretty popular parent site for me um at soccer parenting so love to connect with people um i too feel like you know the power of connection and collaboration um it's what gives me a lot of energy to keep going down this road of um trying to establish better relationships with people and help people do the same. So love to hear from people. Again, one of the most fun interviews we've had in a while. It's every week when we're doing these, there's sometimes when we get to like the 40 minute mark, and we feel like we've only been talking for like 10 minutes. 
And this was one of those interviews. I, I honestly, I felt like I looked down and I was like, how did we get to this point? I mean, she's definitely a person that we need to have back on because I don't feel like we even covered half of what we need to cover in that hour long conversation, hour and five minute conversation. Yeah. We, uh, it, it, we always feel like our show is too long already. And it's like, like you said, like we get through these interviews. It's like, we did not cover everything. Like we still have more to go. She was, I mean, she was kind of fun aside being one of the coolest names that we've had on the show. Like Scotty Bruce just rolls off his own. Just a great name in general. Yeah. But, I, I think, and you know, kind of like we told her like, yeah, that's a quality name. Like, I mean, like her, like there's parents that don't do well enough with their kids' names. Her parents <laughs> almost did too well. <laughs> but like she said too, like, you know, the Bruce was the Mary name. So it's like addition to, uh, you know, just like all of the life families coming together. Like they all, they all combine to make this awesome name. Yeah. I mean, c- complete credit to her and her husband. But no, I, I think one of my favorite parts about that interview was I, there were so many things that she talked about that I could relate to so well, because I've always been a huge advocate of like when I taught, we, we, I teach a class right now and we talk about team culture and we talk about culture being literally everyone that's involved with the team. And so when I, when I talk about it, we talk about the parents and things like that, the, the reference that we gave in my class the other day, do you remember Iceland in the Euros back in, I guess it was probably four years ago at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Where like after every single win that they had, they would do the thunderclap and their fans were just all about it. And again, this country that is smaller than I think Illinois and Indiana combined was competing with some of the best teams in the world. And you could just tell their whole, like their embodiment of what they were trying to do was so driven not from even the players and the coaches but to everyone that was even remotely involved with their their team and that and like that's what I thought that Sky did such a good job talking about is how to involve the parents how to make them a big piece of this process and I really think it's an important part it is because you you have to have them involved because if you don't that's when this littlest thing can can just set everything off. So you got to keep them involved as much as possible. You know, it's like I mentioned on there, you know, I try to do a, a weekly email uh, to my parents. And now that uh, I think about it, I, I normally do it on Mondays. Uh, and I just now realized talking about, it, I did not do that on Monday. So I need to put that out tomorrow. I'll do it as like a, like a pre Easter since we had the weekend off. Um, we'll do like a little pre Easter email, but uh, yeah, you, you have to have them involved just because I mean, it, it, as much as you are a part of the players' lives, I mean the 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 players essentially are are the children of these parents, and they're involved in every process that is going on within these kids' development. And the more that you give them, the more information, the more that they can assist you as well. And I truly believe that there are times where the parents can help you as a coach when it comes to dealing with your player or uh, various things within their, their, their development. So you just got to have it in. And you talked about culture too. I'd hate to talk about culture and not plug our homies, uh, Don Crow and Stephanie Golan, who, if you, if you didn't get the opportunity to check them out at the uh, Wisconsin women, women in soccer uh, symposium, uh, definitely get a hold of Stephanie or Don. Uh, Don's 
Twitter name off the top of my head is at Budit05. Uh, they did a great thing about culture and creating a culture, and that is a, a comp- component uh, to what they're they're trying to do and how you can use that at every level. So definitely uh, check those two out. Um, you've had a good week when it comes to uh, professional ranks of soccer. Yeah, no, Liverpool's crushing it right now. I'm feeling really good about where we're at right now. Yeah? I mean, not really, because we're still... like. The problem I'm having right now is I don't see City ever dropping a point. I mean, they they and now, and now they don't have to worry about Champions League. So they can I know. focus on I Premier League. I was so rooting for them to win this one. I wanted them to win today and then lose to Tottenham on Saturday. But I mean, I, I beggars can't be choosers. But I didn't want them to win all four titles. If we're being honest, so I'm at least a little bit okay that they only got three to fight for. That we're, was Liverpool was in the Champions League final last year, correct? Yes. Okay. But did you watch that game today against Tottenham? No, I was at work. And my phone was going crazy. It is and... one of it, it easily. So, like, I, I would say, like, and again, I've, I'm obviously coming from a state of bias at this point, but the Liverpool Borussia Dortmund, um, it, it was in the semis a few years ago in Europa League where Liverpool needed to score two-plus goals over – Dortmund to qualify for the finals. And like, that was a crazy game because they went down two to one and then had to score three straight in 12 minutes to go on this game. Top that absolutely top that there was four goals in the first 12 minutes of the game. The game ended with city going and winning and going ecstatic to realize that Aguero's foot was offsides. Like it, was, it was the craziest thing I've seen in a long, long time. I did. I, okay, so that makes sense. I saw a meme that had Guardiola on the phone, and it said Pep talking to the city owners. Hey, we're going to need five hundred million to buy VAR next next window. <laughs> yeah, no, it's honestly like it was. I mean, it was offsides. It would never be called through the run of play. Like you, like it's like, and that's the thing. I like it's so weird about the VAR thing because. It does make correct calls, but the minuscule margins that it makes correct calls on is absolutely nuts. Like Aguero was offsides. Like his foot was offsides. And the rule is if it's a part of your body you can score a goal with, that's offsides. You could, it, it, It's considered offsides. But in the run of play, you would never see that in a million years. Yeah, I – Champions League, you know, moving on to see who moves on. Like, you just gotta. That's where times where like I hate VAR, and I have no like dog in the fight. Yeah, but like I just, ah, that just drives me crazy. Like, yeah, just I mean, let the let the game go. Poor Pat, man. Like three years in a row, like the the, the guy. But I mean, I guess like I me, mean, he won a few with uh, Bayern Munich. So or not Bayern Munich, Barcelona. But yeah, no, it's. It, it, it honestly, I, like it. If you would have said that these four teams were the four teams in the Champions League semis, I don't think anyone would have believed you going into it. It would have been worse odds than trying to pick the NCAA tournament this year with Tech and uh, like all the the ones that were in it. So, what what's your predictions from here on out? Okay, well, I'm obviously coming from a huge state of bias, so I'm gonna say I want realistic, not fanboy. No, I think I think all right. I think Liverpool is going to beat Bayern, and again, that's part fanboy. But I think that it, 
the matchup works out in their favor in terms of I don't I think Barcelona is very good with Messi and Suarez can score at any time, but the rest of their team isn't the Barcelona that's always been. I think the fact that Messi plays on the right wing and he isn't going to cover Robertson going back is going to give Liverpool an opportunity to attack through the left back. I think center midfield wise, I don't think it's any different. I, I like that Van Dyke is the left center back that's going to have to deal with Messi more often just because I mean, there's no way to stop Messi. But if you're going to have someone who can limit his chances, I think Van Dyke right now in the form he's in is really good. And again, I think our, our forward line is, I mean, Mane is scoring at will right now. Salah is getting hot and Firmino can do just a pop goals off as he as often as anyone. And so I think I think Liverpool is going to win that side. I honestly think Ajax is going to make the final. I mean, if you watch if you watch the game that they played against Juventus, I mean, it's just they're a fun team to watch. They play the game the right way, and I, I I don't think that Tottenham's hurting without Harry Kane. I think most people right now would probably take Son over Kane, but I think Ajax and I just like Ajax. I like they're so young. They're all academy built, and so. The, the fact that their captain's 19 years old and is just carrying this team over guys like Juventus, it's, I don't know. I'm going to go Ajax Liverpool final. I could see that. I could see that. I I will go with Ajax in that one. I feel like they're kind of the, the little guy in this, in this scheme. And even though historically they are, you know, just traditionally a, a very, very good with development and whatnot. Yeah, they're they're just, I do believe that they are the uh, the underdogs and all. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, with Ajax, which Ajax spelled backwards is Jaksha for all my old '90s Bob and Tom fans. Well, it comes that time where we have to uh, say goodbye. You can join the conversation if you can't get enough of this. Join us on Twitter. Just make sure to use the hashtag Soccer Chat whenever you are posting. Uh, if you want to send us a question or send us a comment or whatever it may be. Uh, also, there's a conversation every single Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. All you have to do is go on to your search bar, type in pound sign soccer chat, hit latest and follow along the Q1A1 session that we have where there are coaches. We can now say all around the world because of our man, Coach Pete in Australia. So we have coaches from around the world who are chatting every single Wednesday night, answering questions, submitting questions, having discussion, open dialogues, building networks and creating friendships that every time you see them, maybe at convention or something, you're just going to give them a big old hug because we are just that. We're a big community of of positive, like-minded coaches who are all just trying to make the game better for our kids. So that's Wednesday nights, 9.30 p.m. Eastern time on the Twitter and if you would like to get a hold of Nick, he will gladly chat with you on Twitter, especially if you have your own Champions League picks and you want to debate him on that. Nick, how could people do so? The best way to get a hold of me is at Coach N. Rizzo. What about you, brother? Mine is at Coach Soderling, spelled just the way it sounds. Uh, and we have to thank the folks at Social Media for the High School Athletes because then we get to put the show on for you for free every single week that drops every single Thursday. Make sure to go support them. Let them know that you appreciate them uh, putting this show out for you guys every single week. Uh, we also give a, a big shout out to our friends, Dutick Brand, Dutickbrand.com, Dutickbrand.com. Our friends uh, over there have some great, great 
items for all your coaching needs. I personally like the beanie. Nick just actually bought the limited edition black on black, or as I call it, the murdered out uh, Dutik brand t-shirt. It shipped out to you this week, didn't it? I'm so pumped for that shirt. You you tweeted or you texted uh, Tiff and Adelaide's group with you and I nonstop. Like you're really into that shirt. Yeah, no, I mean, I was really just more disappointed that they hadn't put it out earlier. <laughs> well, if you haven't gotten one yet, get on their website, dutubebrand.com. Use the promo code SOCCERCHAT to get yourself a discount. And you and Nick can be twinsies one day soon. Also, our friends over at Torx. We are Team Torx here at Soccer Chat, the greatest ball pump in the world. Go check it out. Leave them a nice Amazon review after you've purchased yours and used it to its max. Also, our good friends over at Soccer Pulse app and the Soccer IQ app. If you didn't see it last week, our good friend and our main man, Clifton Bush from NWSL Rewind, and who guy who's been on the show before, recently was named the head coach at the University of Asheville, and he wants to hire his new assistant coach from Soccer Chat. So if you're listening to this right now, you need to go to at chat soccer so that's s-o-c-c-r no e in it at chat soccer see the video we posted with major soccer chat announcement from at clifton underscore bush watch all the way through he gives you his email address gives you his tech info he wants to hire someone from soccer chat so if you're listening to this right now and you're looking for that big break to get into code college coaching or you're wanting to move up from d3 d2 nai up to division one school this is your chance Hit up Clifton, let him know that you heard this on the show or you saw it on Twitter and let him know that you are interested and help Clifton find his new assistant because he wants to find them from Soccer Chat. And that's so cool and so amazing that he's doing so. He's Nick. I'm Sean. We're just a couple of good brothers. We're a couple of soccer coaches, but more importantly, we're soccer coaches. That makes no sense. But hey, if you didn't get it, figure it out. If you figure it out, you got it. Nick, the best part about all this is we get to do it again next week my friend we will catch you later see you later brother (laughs) honestly i have no idea like i literally i'm so bad with music needs to be one of the 20 songs on my phone right <laughs> yeah but when you were talking about that and you're like i don't know how to operate or you know i don't know how, i don't do it all whatever i was like she's talking about the youtube album that went on everybody's phone oh. like, that's that's the only thing that's on no, her phone no, is that. It's these 20 like i randomly at some point i bought a youtube album which i do love youtube and then i have um indigo girls <laughs> album and i have george winston which is like classical music and then i have like one justin timberlake song what song is it no no i am not telling you